Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined by my co-editors, Greg Mitchell and Chris Schutte. We are recording this on Thursday afternoon, the day after one of the biggest upsets of the college basketball season. Of course, Wofford last night went into the Dean Dome and knocked off the number five North Carolina Tar Heels. It was an evening that featured a whole bunch of near upsets. And then, of course, that upset uh, with Wofford. Uh, Furman came close to knocking off Tennessee. Albany almost beat Louisville. And then Wofford behind Fletcher McGee finally got it done. Perhaps the most improbable of all of those. And Wofford is a team that I don't think we've talked about on this podcast yet. Maybe we've mentioned them in passing. Uh, but but it is a team that has come up either on the site or in our Slack conversation simply because they knocked off Georgia Tech already earlier in the year. Uh, we knew Fletcher McGee was uh, one of the best players in the Southern Conference. Um, but this was maybe the average basketball fan's first chance to see that team play and I know we all watched at least part of that game so I wanted to get your impressions of uh of last night's game so uh, Chris we'll start with you yeah so I I didn't catch the entire thing I probably caught you know last five minutes and uh I think the thing I was most impressed with was how Wofford didn't take their foot off the gas um down the stretch you know in a lot of situations like that where a small team's got a team like North Carolina on the ropes heading into the final five minutes. They can get a little bit tense and uh, the nerves kind of kick in, but they did a great job of, you know, playing their game, getting to the rim, not, not playing with any fear. And I think that's kind of what you have to do in a situation like that. And, you know, credit to Wofford for, for hanging in there. And I, I agree with what you said earlier. It's probably the biggest upset of the, of the season so far um, going off of, Ken Palm win expectancy. I'm looking at the uh, brutality leaderboard. Uh, they're tied with Grambling, uh, Grambling State's win over Georgia Tech for uh, lowest uh, win expectancy. It was at uh, 2% for last night's game. So a uh, big win for Wofford and big win for the SOCON, which I think is going to gonna be one of the more interesting races to, to keep track of this season. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. Uh, Greg, did you catch uh, catch any of the game? You know, I watched the very end. I was I was focusing a little bit more on the Albany game against Louisville. Um, but just as Chris mentioned, it's almost like they had to. They won the game at first, and they uh, when they uh, got up to the big lead, especially there. Um, it looks like early on in the second half. And then when North Carolina surged back in those games, it always seems like the mid major kind of falls apart. But they again, as Chris mentioned, kind of won the game again. And that's and that's impressive. And I do remember Wofford. I remember on opening night um, when I think they hosted South Carolina at their new facility, I remember thinking that was a, you know, if there was going to be a shot at an upset on opening night, um, that was one of them just because, you know, Gamecocks lost a lot off that Final Four team last year. But also, um, you know, in, in a new facility hosting an SEC team and, you know, Fletcher McGee was a star. That, that was a game that um, seemed like uh, was in the cards for them, and they ended up uh, losing that in pretty lopsided fashion. So 
um, it's nice to see here in the last last few weeks they've kind of uh, lived up to that potential that a lot of people saw before the year. Yeah, and and from from my point of view, I don't know if you can point to any one thing that Wofford did or Wofford had that allowed them to do this. It was sort of a, a perfect storm of components for them that came together um, in, in the right way last night. And just using the uh, the quick recap that Torrance wrote, um, I think he did a good job of breaking it down for us. Uh, first of all, very often in upsets like this, you see the mid-major or the low-major team hits a lot of threes. Wofford did that. Wofford shot the ball very well. Uh, they were well coached, and they had a good def- defensive game plan and containing Luke May. Um, so that was good. And then on the other end, Cameron Jackson had a really good game um, for Wofford inside. So the, it, it was kind of every element. And then when North Carolina made their run, you know, as you both alluded to, uh, Wofford didn't fold. And I think it, it is something that you see a lot of teams do or maybe not fold, but lose, lose that confidence. And even, you know, North Carolina cut it to one, I think on a couple of occasions, there was never a time where you looked at Wofford and thought they think they're going to lose the game now. Um, I, I certainly thought that, you know, Carolina would come back and win. Carolina's a better team. Um, but they, they didn't seem to have that belief. And I think that made a big difference. And it's, something to be honest with you that I didn't know or didn't really think about going in. Um, but they mentioned it a lot on ESPN after is that Mike young, their head coach been at Wofford forever. He's had a ton of success there. He is a very well-respected coach in the Southern conference. He's brought them to four NCAA tournaments, at least four in the Ken Palm era that have his page up right now um so maybe it shouldn't be all that surprising that in a single game a team like Wofford uh, could pull something like this off yeah I'm looking at their their Ken Palm page it looks like they've got a fairly young roster too um don't look like they really have any senior guys that are really like main contributors um so maybe this is kind of the perfect storm of a team that's been together for a couple of years and they get a, a good opportunity against a, a team that's close to them in the region. And like you said, they didn't really like looking at the box score, they didn't really do anything that really stands out all that much. Um, but I, I agree with what you said about, um, you know, he's a well-respected guy. He's been there for a while. And I, I think I saw last night, this was their first, First win over a top twenty-five program in school history is that that yep. correct? First ever, first ever win. Wow. Yep. So I mean, for I don't even know how long he's been there off the top of my head, but for that to to finally get the one, you know, I mean, that's that's the kind of kind of win that can make a a season special moving forward. And that's surprising to me that that it you know it was the first top twenty-five win because. Just uh, looking at the seeds that they've uh, gotten under him, it's not all been 15s, 16s, or something like that. Like they had a, a 12 seed a few years ago. So, I mean, that's not a bad 
squad at that point, right? So it's just that's surprising to me, but I guess that's a lot of when you play someone, how the schedule lines up that you put together there uh, more so than anything else. Yeah, he he's got he's got a program there. It's not not a team. He's got he's built a program at Wofford, um, and you know I I just said it. it. It's something that we haven't appreciated enough. Something the college basketball probably will never appreciate enough because it is a school like Wofford. Um, looking at this game last night, you know, it was I, Fletcher McGee was the name that was trending that everyone was talking about. He had 27 points, uh, hit four threes. And Chris, I know you are causing maybe a bit of a stir on the Twitters right now uh, because you had something interesting to point out about Fletcher McGee and his shooting. I mean, what am I not causing a stir on, on the Twitter machine? That is a good um, point. That's, that's a good point. As far as uh, what's causing the stir, I, I was looking at uh, you know the sports reference uh, statistics leaderboard page and right now Fletcher McGee leads the country in um, three pointers made so far he's hit 56 of them through 12 games um, Steph Curry holds the record unsurprisingly for uh, three pointers made in a single season at 162 and so I just, I just got curious you know how is how's McGee stacking up compared to Curry through the same point um like I said, through 12 games, McGee has hit 56 of his threes. Through 12 games in the 2007-2008 season for Davidson, Curry had only hit 50. So McGee's uh, six ahead at this point. And the, the thing I was most impressed by is just how absurdly efficient he's been doing it. I mean, he's hitting 55% of his threes. I don't know if that's sustainable, especially given the volume that McGee is taking them, but you know, it's something something I'm going to keep an eye on, and if it's, you know, if he's cutting it close towards the end of the season, maybe, maybe he starts gunning a little bit and could make for some exciting performances down the stretch. Yeah, and and there was there was another player who was on. Is he on pace as well? Uh, Jordan Howard. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's he's just about tied with Curry. Uh, he's through 13 games. He's second in the country in. Uh, three-pointers made he's at 53 um, through 13 games in Curry season Curry was at 52 so uh, right 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 about even Um, Howard's kind of coming off of a good performance last night against Oregon he hit eight of nine so oh my that's yeah that's he's kind of a a boomer bust guy he's hit eight threes in a game uh, twice so far this year but he's also had a couple of uh, poor performances. He's got a two for eleven, a two for nine, another two for nine. So when he's hot, he's hot. When he's not, doesn't he's not. Gotcha. I think that's why his name was familiar to me when you brought it up, and I think it's because it was that other um, eight three pointer game where I wrote about him. I think it was in a weekend recap uh, because he was just. I mean, that's absurd. His game score was like through the roof. Uh, so he made my team of the weekend. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it wasn't um, it? It had to be the countdown. <laughs> yeah, or, or or it could have been the uh, the world famous mid major. It was the uh... the short lived <laughs> mid major countdown, which he was featured on day thirty three. Um, so that was right toward the end of when the uh, the countdown ran out of steam. 
that it. But and we were we were talking about this beforehand. The, the good part about the countdown was you made it clear right off the bat that there's no way you were going to sustain it for the no. entire 50 days or however many it was. Absolutely not. Though I will say that I feel like I learned more about the college basketball landscape in doing that than anything else. So um, if I had boundless energy, it's something that, that I'll consider doing next year. But uh, maybe you start start preparing now and then you could do the countdown the day after the final four ends that is a great yes that is a great idea um that's putting in that's putting in the legwork right there yeah well you know we 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 need people to write for the site in the summer it's not exactly an easy task but so, so he was so uh he was featured on day 33 because um he plays for central arkansas where a very famous number 33 also played um if you guys early trivia here who was that number 33 who played for Central Arkansas? It's not Larry Bird. Is <laughs> is that where Scottie Pippen went? It is Scottie Pippen, yeah. And they were in NIA oh, yeah. school at that oh, point yeah. in the 80s when he was there. Um, but I, I drew a comparison between the two um, because he is um, – when the season began or before the season, Howard was the fourth leading scorer in UCA history – um, and just 531 points behind the all-time record, um, which is not held by, by uh, Pippen. Um, and I believe that's because he did not play as a freshman, but I don't remember if that's true or not. Uh, but, yeah, so he's a, he's certainly an all-timer over there in Arkansas. You, you know, what I'm hearing is uh, potty skipping. Oh, my God. <laughs> Disrespectful. That was really – that's a really good spoonerism, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I I'm glad we talked about these two guys because actually, when I was walking home from work yesterday, I was thinking about what we are going to talk about on this podcast because I really didn't know, and of course because I try to steal as much as I can uh, from Norlander and Parrish. They were talking about Trey Young and the start that he's off to, and how he is starting to become a name that you recognize even outside of college basketball circles. And that then got me thinking about a player no one's ever heard of, uh, even if you follow mid-majors really closely. That's Mike Dom. No one knows who that who? is. Who? Yeah, I, I, who? I cannot tell you whom that is, um, but apparently he's good. I, um, but I, I thought it would be great if we talked about some of these players who maybe don't get the recognition that they deserve. And McGee um, is definitely one of them. And I guess Howard is too. Uh, I'll throw another name out there from the SOCON is Devin Sibley of uh, Furman. He, I think he has a little bit more around him this year, uh, which is why I think Furman is the favorite in the SOCON. But the uh, Paladins had had themselves a night yesterday against Tennessee in a game that I thought they really should have won. And the SOCON is shaping up to be not only a really good uh, mid-major conference, but maybe one that is going to have, you know, a few really high-profile names uh, coming out of it. Some guys we might remember in March. Do we want to do wish list? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do wish list. So... Yesterday, we ran a Christmas wish list from our staff for what they are hoping for for the rest of the college basketball season. 
Chris, you spearheaded the operation. So if you want to take us through some of the wishes uh, and I don't know, talk about whatever you want. All right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just go down the, go down the list and find a couple ones I find notable. Um, the top one on my wish list was a healthy Atlantic 10 season for Jalen Adams and EC Matthews. A um, couple guards that have had a little bit of injury trouble early on in the season, but right now they're they're both back on the court and both playing well. So let's hope that that's, remains the case for them. Um, Kyle Cajero, our resident Big West appreciator, wants an updated Getty Images photo database for mid-major schools. Please, yes. Russ, uh, you want a place on the internet other than the athletic to find mid-major power rankings? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where to go for that. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, Cam Newton, not to be confused with that Cam Newton, uh, wants an autographed picture of Rick Bird. Unsurprisingly, I feel like he's going to end up with one of those. Like Belmont knows his obsession <laughs> enough that I have a feeling they might just send him one at some point. Yeah, he's he's got some connections. I was going to say, I think, it's also I think that can be a. Re- mm-hmm. I mean, he's in the he's in the ear of one of the all time uh, greats of that program, right? right? Evan Bryant. Yeah, Evan he's, likes him. He can make that happen. But like, I, I also feel like if Cam is ever able to make it to a game at Belmont, like. Rick oh my Bird God. might get a restraining order. <laughs> That'd be like if Ben and John ever met. All right, um, Ellie Lieberman. Here's the big one. Here's the big one. Her top wish for 2018 is for Fletcher McGee to become the most popular baby name of 2018. She put this out the morning of the Wofford, North Carolina game. Not, not after. Ellie... Has, has she ever met Wofford before? I don't like. It's not like she talks about Wofford all the no, time either. She's been. Right? I don't think she's ever. She's been out of the country yeah. for what? She just got back like last week, yeah. right? She got back last week. She was in Africa. That is where she spent the first part of this basketball season. She has been as offline as you could possibly be. That she comes back with this Fletcher McGee take, and then that night he lights up North Carolina. Absolutely incredible. Um, fi- finishing up the list, Greg, you want to hear more about Mike Dom. Luckily for you, we just mentioned him on the podcast. And you would also like a one-on-one with uh, Rod Barnes so he can motivate you to work as hard as his teams defend. I do need some motivation. Yeah. And if there's anyone that could do it, I, I think it's Coach Barnes. Yeah, Greg, can you actually talk about Barnes for a minute? Because he's a, he's a coach that I wanted to write about, but I didn't want to step on your toes at all. He he's put something pretty interesting together out there in the whack. I wrote about uh, them over the weekend. Um, they actually lost last night at, at Delaware, um, which was a sub 200, a Ken Palm loss. So it was not a great loss. So it wasn't the road, but um, they lost a lot of guys over um, from the past two years where they had, they made the NCAA tournament um, by obviously winning the whack tournament uh, uh, two years ago. And then last year they won the regular season and, uh, made it all the way to the uh, semifinals of the NIT. So, you know, the heart and soul, um, essentially, of those teams left after after the season in, uh, in Deidre uh, Basel and Shailen Arrington. Um, but right away, he slotted in a true point guard, Ricky Holden, um, and a freshman point guard 
from uh, Mississippi, um, who was one of the top scorers um, in high school last year, Jarkel Troyner. Um, they both kind of, in my mind, surprisingly, from day one, were number one and two in uh, minutes per game on the team, even though there were some guys who, like uh, Damian Theorem um, and guys like that, who were kind of in supporting roles over the past few years. But, you know, he, the guy can evaluate talent. Um, his team's a defend like few others uh, do. I mean, it's just a consistently elite defense. Um, the, they're only going to be in the whack here a few more years uh, before they go to the Pig West, which is obviously geographically uh, going to be a great fit for them. But, you know, he's a guy who's uh, bounced around a lot. Um, he was at Old Miss, I think Georgia State as well. Um, it never really worked out at either place, but uh, he really has something up and running now at CSUB. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm glad we got a, we got a chance to talk about him because he is one of the kind of more interesting coaching stories that people don't really talk about. And also I wanted to make sure to give you your whack minute before we forgot for the third podcast in a row, uh, because I just wouldn't be able to live with myself. And, uh, that was really my Christmas wish was more whack minutes. <laughs> um, I, I do want to just point out one other thing on, uh, this Christmas list. And then Chris, if you have anything else, feel free to add it. Um, but I, I noted, and one of my wishes, uh, if, if you know me, if you follow me, you'll know that central Connecticut state's a school, very, uh, near and dear to me. They've had some really rough years. The last few years, I wished for them to win a game in the NEC tournament. The NEC is a 10 team league that only sends its best eight to its postseason tournament. Central has finished, either last or second to last, I think in like the last three years. So they haven't made it. Uh, they are now six and six off of a win over Maine last night. Uh, they are at 500 in late December for the first time in like five years. They are out of the bottom. You know, they, they are better than 300. They are a top 300 team in Ken Palm for the first time in, I think three years. And they're starting to look like, a team who has a really realistic shot at winning a game in their conference tournament, which I'm excited about. I think a realistic goal for them at the start of the year would have been to just make the NEC tournament and like be competitive in the conference. They're looking like they could be maybe a top half team in that league. They have some really nice pieces. They have a, uh, a good transfer in Tyler Cole. Uh, Austin Nels is one of the better three-point shooters in the low major level. Um, probably someone you don't hear about too often. And it's the uh, the second year of the Daniel Marshall era. And I think already you're starting to see that program turn around a little bit. So I just wanted to give them a quick shout out and uh, it just say how excited I am that it seems like they're moving in the right direction. Uh, Cam... Newton also wants a mid-major school to hire Oliver Pinnell as an interim or something after firing their coach. Looking at you, Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, ben wants continued domination by Indiana's mid-majors. Which, I mean... <laughs> he's talking about IUPUI, of course. <laughs> yeah, he's not the only one wishing for that. <laughs> that, that is true. Yeah. I saw he also wanted... Chicago State win, yeah, which is which that is, is a, a nice wish, wish. But maybe he could wish for like some funding for that school instead. <laughs> that, 
I think I think he wrote it as a, as a Chicago State upset win, which I, I'm not sure if there is a win for Chicago State that would not. Right. Be yeah, upset. like I I was I was just when I was just talking about Central when they won their first couple of games of the season, and I was getting excited, and people would say like, "Oh, these you know these are wins against you know Ken Palm three thirty three, but you know when you're Ken Palm three fifty, any win is a good win." Um, so anything that Chicago State does, um, anything they do well is something to be celebrated. Absolutely. And I don't mean to rag on them because Tracy Thilde is a really nice guy and has a great reputation um, in Chicago. It's just uh, an unfortunate situation. Uh, Chris, I have a question for you. If you were... Yeah, go for it. If you were to power rank the Division One programs in Indiana... Uh, after like Notre Dame and Purdue, who's third? On uh, on the basis of what, in terms of basis quality quality of play this year? Or, yeah, yeah. Ta- just know. talking about this season, not like as a program. Uh, this season, I'd probably put Butler. Um, oh, right, probably going to end up as a probably a fringe fringe bubble team. Um. In the Big East, right. obviously, if you want to hear more about Butler, go listen to uh, Big East Coast Bias guys. They, Butler's a team that I've seen in person. Yeah, a we can only cover really so like many mid majors on this podcast. We leave the Big East to uh, yeah. To their, yeah. Um, what about <laughs> Valpo? Did you did you see them last night? Good lord! Oh my gosh, that that was a massacre. Bad. Oh man, see. Part of me wants to rank Indiana just because I think probably 80% of the time they're going to win those games against Fort Wayne and Indiana State. Um, both they times. lost those games by a combined 50 points. Yeah. I know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not defending them in any sort of um, – Russ is in, in the holiday uh, but, uh, yeah. right now. I mean – both both teams hit 17 threes in those games. Um, obviously, this year, Indiana's obviously down, I think. They're a little more susceptible to getting the brakes blown off by Indiana State and uh, Fort Wayne. They, they have shown that they are a terrible uh, perimeter defense, defensive perimeter team. I don't know how to say that. They're oh, not good is, at defending the three is the point. It is atrocious that... Yeah, I'm looking at their Ken Palm page there. 334th in defending the three-point line. So, Is that bad? Uh, it's not good. I think, honestly, I might rank Ball State I as fourth. I was about to ask if it was Ball State. I, I think it's Ball State. I'm, I was like running through the list. And I was like, you know, Fort Wayne, IEPY, definitely not. Wow. Uh, Indiana State, Evansville, who got absolutely – wrecked by Duke last night. Yeah. I I honestly think it's Ball State's probably the fourth best team in the in the state this year. Now after them, is it Valpo or is it Indiana? <sighs> it's, it's not Valpo. I can I can tell you that much. <laughs> Valpo is not a good team. Like I'm I'm sorry. They've lost four out of their last five and they've been they just lost to a bad 
UC Riverside team last night. Yeah, but there was a point where they were receiving top 25 votes, which means by default they're one of the best 30 mid-major programs in the country, according to Twitter. Buddy, listen. (laughs) (laughs) We should see... The the thing that kind of happened with with that is they're getting all this hype about, you know, getting votes, and then they proceed to lose three games. Towson was kind of getting the same thing. We write a really nice piece about it, and they lose to, to Oakland. So yeah. moral of the story, if you want good things to happen to your team, leave us alone. Yeah, yeah that's actually a, a pretty good transition because I wanted Greg to talk about his Towson piece, even though they got the doors blown off of them last night at Oakland. <laughs> uh, they were 10 and one and they were looking really good. Yeah. They made it a little bit yeah. Yeah. And I, I think they're a really good team. Um, and they're, and they're a, an interesting story uh, just because as I wrote in the piece uh, when Pat scary took over um, his first year, they went one and 31. Um, he inherited a 19 game losing streak, uh, which then stretched into a 41 game losing streak, which at the time, uh, was an NCAA record. Um, there wasn't much there when he got there. He turned the roster over uh, very fast. Uh, they had Jarrell Peniman, who was a transfer from Georgetown. Um, and I don't know – I didn't look into it that f- far back. I assume he was probably sitting out um, – I don't know if he was recruited by Scary or the uh, previous um, administration, but he kind of was their first kind of star player – um, and he got them going, and they and they won 18 games in Scary's second year after after only winning one the year before. And since then, they've been really consistent, and they they're a physical team. They they've never shot the ball well. That's always been their undoing. Um, but if you look at their at, at Scary's uh, Ken Palm page, I mean, even when they were really bad that first year, they still finished 13th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, um, and they've never finished worse than 67th, which is actually what they are right now. But they've been 11, 10, 3, 36, 6, and 13. That's their offensive rebounding percentage ranks each year he's been there. So, I mean, it's schematically it's what they do. Um, I asked him about it, and he said they practice rebounding every day. And um, I asked if that's unique to the program. He said it, he thinks it might be. But, uh, you know, they just stress physical play, and they have a great defense. They rebound the heck out of the ball. Um, and this year they're actually starting to shoot it a little bit better. Um, they have their best team three-point percentage um, thus far that they've had under him. But I think what you saw last night against Oakland, um, I, I watched the first half of that game and a little bit of the second half. Uh, Kendrick Nunn was just like on fire from deep. He's incredible. And I think the problem with – yeah, he's really good. Um, and I think the problem with Towson is if they get down, it's hard for them to come back because they have some really good players, same – uh, uh, Martin is a sophomore, um, and he's kind of exploded. He, he's averaging something like 17 points a game, um, and he's really good. But outside of him, you know, they have some other nice guys like Mike Morsel, um, but they don't. They just don't score the ball still um, that that well. So if if other team gets up big early and is on fire, it's going to be hard for them to come back. But I I think they're a team that has a style of play that's going to compete every night in the CAA. Um, you know, I think they. That's a good league. I know Charleston just got Jarrell Brantley back, I think. Um, so I think we all agree that they're the favorite there. But, you know, between uh, Northeastern, Elon, um, I, I think Towson's right there. And um, if they were to make the tournament this year, or any year really, um, 
it's it's an it's an impressive story the way they've they've come all the way back from one in thirty one APR bands um, to you know uh, being a factor. And in by that the league. way, I would throw Hofstra in as well as a team that has a chance to compete in that conference. That's a really balanced. And they league. they have a big they have a big uh, Lithuanian, I believe. They have right? a large large adult son. He is one of my favorite large adult sons. As a person who is half Lithuanian, I always love the teams with the big Lithuanians and. They do, in fact, have one. That's what I thought. So I have uh, some Lithuanian and in me as well. I this, these are things we learn, yeah. Russ. That's awesome. Look at that. Maybe we're related. Maybe. I mean, it's a very small country, so yeah, possibility. But so I I don't think I have Lithuanian in me. That's okay. Boo. Sorry to disappoint. You should do one of those ancestry tests, though. I did one of those. I learned some things. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I will sometime. Anyway, I have a trivia question, and it is oh, yeah. related to Towson. So, oh, Greg, it is very possible that you'll know this. Um, so if you do, then I'll just have to think of something harder. But you talked about that prolonged losing streak that they had. It began on January 3rd, 2011, went for 40-some-odd games, ended January 28th. 2012, who is the team that they beat to break that streak? I think I do know this. Is it UNC Wilmington? It is UNC Wilmington. I remember seeing that because I remember thinking um, they weren't, I don't know if that was a Keats at that point, but they were not up and running. I remember they had a very low Ken Palm rank when I looked at that. I think I could be wrong. Ooh, a good question for you is who was their head coach it was not keats i know jerry wainwright i know that's where he made his name but he wouldn't have been there at that point unless he went back which i, I don't think it's that not, happened it's not jerry wainwright it's somebody who we actually did write about on the site fairly recently uh but for he what still- he did at a different school he is not still coaching he did coach for a time at a Power 5 program. When he came from Wilmington, was he at the Power 5 program before he was at Wilmington? It was before Wilmington. It was a, what's Buzz something? Oh, that's what I, I, yeah, I forgot what his last name Yeah, was. it's Buzz Peterson. Because someone got very that's, offended that, yeah. we, that we referred to him in like, a, oh, hey, remember these happy times in the mid-major ranks? And something like, you not write about this. Looking at like the the previous UNC Wilmington coaches, we know there was Kevin Keats, Buzz Peterson, Brad Brownell. Oh, wow. After oh, wow. Jerry Wainwright. Hey, yeah. that he's doing really good he this is. year. He is the head coach at Clemson. The Tigers are ten and one. I kind of had pegged that as a potential Tom Crean landing spot. Well, there, there will be a whole bunch of other uh, opportunities at the end of this year. Wilmington may have as many coaches in the Ken Palm era as any other program. That's a lot of names on that list. Yeah, they've they've had six coaches since 2002, which is when the Ken Palm era began. It, can you think of a school that maybe has had that many? That's a good call. Uh, Mizzou actually is not not that far behind. It actually might be. Let's see, two and about Butler, a Haith, a Martin, and a and a Quinn Snyder. So I guess Mizzou's at five. DePaul 
is also at five. And it would have well, been but, six but, if Dave Leto wasn't twice. I was going to say, how do you count? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But Butler's had five. They had Jordan Holtman, that like year and a half of Brandon Miller, oh, right. Stevens and Licklider. When did uh, Mata must have been there before Ken Palmer then? Hey, Russ, I wanted to ask you about okay. something and bring up a a good topic that was written about on the site recently. One of your wish list things was a three bid yes. West yes. Coast Conference. Uh, so obviously Gonzag is going to be yeah. in, and then St. Mary's is at a rough, rough non-conference schedule, but they're obviously still very talented. Will wrote a really good piece about BYU yep. um, and how they've put together a really nice schedule that might have them in position for potentially being an at-large uh, bubble contender. What What are your thoughts on? on what they did as far as, you know, scheduling and getting them in, into that position. Yeah, it looks like they scheduled the right way this year. And I thought w- when they lost to UT Arlington on November 18th that that would be the beginning of the end of a very short-lived BYU at-large conversation. Uh, but they've, they, they beat Princeton, and that's a win that I think is going to look better at the end of the year than it does now because I think Princeton is finally starting to click. They have a win over UMass, which is a team that is better than we thought they would be. They uh, were Ken Palm 147 then, but they're going to, I bet they're going to move up a lot. Uh, Wins over Utah State, Illinois State, and Utah. Um, They've got some solid wins on there, three that are uh, tier B on Ken Palm. Um, They pass, you know, they've done pretty much everything you could ask of them at this point, with the exception of that UT Arlington game. They'll probably need right. to maybe win one against Gonzaga and one against St. Mary's or something like that. Um, but that's, I mean, that's manageable. Um, St. Yeah. Mary's is anything but invincible, certainly. And, you know, I think Gonzaga has shown that they they can be beaten as well. Um, they're still, I mean, hell, they yeah, beat them last they, year. They beat them last year on, uh, on senior night. Um, so it's it's possible. I, th- I I would say right now that a three bid West Coast Conference isn't exactly likely, um, but I wouldn't like I wouldn't be shocked because all three of those first of all one of those three teams is barring something insane is going to get the automatic bid right so you're not going to have to worry about that right. and then the other two I think it's very reasonable to say that they could have the resume to do it. I mean the NCAA tournament is. 68 teams and I know it's you know it's been like that for what seven eight years now but I I think people still don't realize that when you have 68 teams in a tournament there are some real teams that get in and I think BYU is better than a lot of you know teams that normally get sent to Dayton's I, I think it could happen yeah especially given how I think it's going to be a pretty weak bubble this year, given how bad the Pac-10 or yeah. Pac-12 and Big Ten have been so far this year. So That's I think we might point. have a chance to see see a couple couple mid majors kind of sneak in on probably that probably going to Dayton like around that that eleven seed yeah. twelve and then seed area. They'll somehow be matched up against each other, and we'll, we're going to get really upset. I feel like BYU. It might just be me, but I mean, that's a program that. Uh, 
I, I think it's undersold a little bit just because historically it's probably of all how we define mid-majors, it's probably the most successful of them all. I know that doesn't mean anything for this year or next year or whatever, but I mean, they've got, they've got a lot of history. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I, I would have to think they've probably got more tournament appearances than anybody else that we define as a mid-major. I don't, I don't know even who else would be on that list. It would be a close, maybe Gonzaga now has made that a closer of the last 19 years, whatever it's been. But I mean, Oh, uh, we, we did this as a trivia thing, like a couple weeks back. I remember. Yeah, that's right. We did. Cause like, but, you know, yeah, I mean, they, they're think, probably right up there. That's right. We did do this. Yeah. I think, I think New Mexico state was up there as well. Weren't they? Um, I had to plug that just because maybe I'm, maybe that's the world. I'm, <laughs> I don't know if that's my world or that's the real world, but I was, uh, have you had a chance to watch much BYU this year? A little bit. I have. Yeah. TJ Haas is like certainly one of the uh, more exciting players. I, I really like their team. I'm, I'm a really big fan of, uh, Elijah Bryant, especially, yeah. I mean, he, he got it going against, uh, Utah last week when I, when they were on ESPN. I, I think they were, um, they've always kind of been considered the, you know, the third, third banana in that triumvirate yeah. of Gonzaga, St. Mary's and, um, BYU. But I think Will's had them ranked you know, second in his rankings for a little bit now. And I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And I remember Elijah Bryant. I remember at the beginning of last year, cause I, I think he's the transfer from Elon. Maybe is that, is that, does that sound right? I think, yeah. I yeah Elon. And, and, and I, I think a lot was expected of him and I don't know that he had, and I'm no expert on BYU. I defer to Will on this, but I, I think at least at the beginning of last year, he kind of had a disappointing year um, or, hadn't exploded onto the scene like a lot of people thought but um he's been awesome this year from what i've seen and um his stats certainly bear that out um and that's a heck of a coaching job if they if they can actually rebound and make the tournament um just because you know i guess it's just rally now but they lost you know eric amika who i he probably wouldn't have been the the uh, wcc player of the uh preseason player of the year uh because of landale but i mean he would have been right up there and he was a force especially in a league yeah. like So to lose him and then have the thing with Nick Emery, uh, where that was a guy who, who you know, up until – actually, I don't know what they were – what they knew internally about about whether he'd be with the team or not. But um, to the outside observer, everyone thought he'd be a part of that, you know, pretty shortly before the season. And, and um, so that's a heck of a coaching job if they can rebound from all that and still um, be competitive and, you know, in that conversation. Yeah, kind of going off of that, I don't think we really give Dave Rose as much credit as as we should. You know, looking at his Ken Palm page, he's never never not had a twenty win season. He's got a very distinct play style. I mean, they're among the top teams in tempo every single year. They shoot the ball really well, um, and he's been doing it for you know ten, fifteen years now. And like you said, they're they've had a bunch of NCAA tournament appearances and I, I think he might not be on that level with like a, a Mark few, but he's definitely, I think probably in that second tier of, you know, those historical mid-major coaches that we kind of identify with a program. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a great point because he, he's not a guy that, and I don't know if it's, it's like because of the uh, BYU thing where they uh, kind of, you know, 
exist in their own in their own uh, categories university he's not he's not a guy that gets discussed for other jobs at least not that i've seen yeah. um, but i mean he's been there since 97 as an assistant um like yeah and he's he's been great that's a great point he's he's probably a guy that we don't talk about enough um and I, again i don't know if that's because they they have their own kind of unique things that uh, go along with the program but um it's been impressive yeah, has we, maybe we could get uh, Will on here at some point to talk about uh, BYU or any of the West Coast Conference. I guess it's really a fascinating league. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. like when when um, not to go back to the whack, but like I think Grand Canyon's a solid team as much as I um, like disparage them every now and then. But and I think New Mexico State's a really got you know a good mid major, and San Diego won on both of their home floors, and then went to uh, went to uh, Colorado. And one, I know they. It looks like they just lost at home to North Texas, who's um, rebuilding right now, not very good. So I guess that kind of has taken a little bit of the shine off their non-conference run. But um, at least at one point, it looked like that was a team that maybe if they caught somebody on the right night in the in the uh, WCC tournament, and, and there were some upsets on their side of the bracket, that that was a team that could maybe sneak in there as a as a as a possibility as a contender. So that's that's something that would be interesting to talk to him about to see if he thinks that if there is a team that can kind of sneak their way into those top three, if it's, if, if San Diego has that, has yeah, that the, the funny thing about the WCC is that, you know, you have the big three programs and that really makes it so that those three teams need to win every single game they play against the rest of the league. So that when, when there is an upset, like everybody notices and it's kind of what derailed BYU last year, uh, when they drop those games to San Diego, Santa Clara, and Pepperdine. And that's why maybe I'm a little bit hesitant to um, really talk up BYU yet because it seems like they have a couple of those every year. They lost to Portland, Pepperdine, and Pacific the year before that. Um, losses to Pepperdine and San Diego the year before that. I mean, they, they're known for having these slip-ups, and you really can't have any. Um, if you're in the West Coast Conference, unless it's against a Gonzaga or a St. Mary's. Would you, would you say that they probably have to go at least two and two in the regular season against Gonzaga and St. Mary's? Um, I, I think that's a good... I, I think if they if they did that, I would really like their chances. It's hard to put something on that, like like put a number on it right now. Like if If you're assuming that they win all of the other games that they're supposed to and, you know, maybe lose to one of them in the West Coast Conference Tournament, then that probably is enough to get them in because they would only have four losses. And a four-loss team from the West Coast Conference with those kind of wins and a couple of good ones out of conference is too good to leave out for sure. Um, but, you know, if they right. if they split with Gonzaga and St. Mary's and they lose at home to Pepperdine or San Francisco gets them on the road, then then maybe it gets a little bit hairy. Um, or maybe not, because maybe the rest of that conference uh, brings itself up a little bit, you know, like San Diego or San Francisco, who are both either top 150 or borderline top 150 teams. Maybe that helps everybody. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of been the big thing with the WCC the last couple of years is, can there be a fourth team that kind of, you know, jumps up into that, that upper half and can give those other three teams a 
competitive right and, and it doesn't have to be a fourth ncaa tournament team but it has to be like a right. fourth nit caliber team someone you know that's yeah. that's not a pushover by any means um that can maybe knock someone off uh and it wouldn't be too much of a shock um and and it's it's a problem that uh, that the American has too, and that the American has had since it became a league, is that you have you have that top tier, and then there's it's like a cliff that you fall off of um, before you get to like the two lanes in East Carolinas of the world. I was going to say I saw that uh, thing you tweeted earlier yeah. how Central Connecticut is ranked higher than Eastern. Yeah, Carolina well, now. Central's first win was against East Carolina. It was a it was there a little brutality game. It seems like the infrastructure is there in the WCC for that to happen. I mean, at least theoretically, because like Herb Sendex says, Hannah uh, Clara, you think he'll get that up and running and respectable at some point? Um, I know San Francisco's San Francisco's been at least kind of solid. But I don't know what their what their ceiling is as a program. Um, and you know, I guess I, uh, Terry Porter at Portland was like an exciting hire uh, because of his um, history with you know NBA in that city. But I, I know the, I know thus far that's not not uh, gone that well. Yeah, you have a lot of programs that like have historically been good, like obviously San Francisco way back, but like Loyola Marymount had good teams in the '90s. San Diego had that uh, that team that went to the second round of the tournament. Pacific had that team that upset Providence like there's and of course you know Santa Clara in the 90s as well these are programs that have won before all right so I think hopefully we could get another one of these in uh after Christmas maybe this time next week hopefully um I would like to at least do one more uh before New Year's so watch out for that um until then thank you so much for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast for Chris Hudy and Greg Mitchell. I'm Russ Steinberg and have a, uh, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday and whatever, whatever it is that you're celebrating.